And welcome to a powwow lacking the know-how of the chief. Now, if you're still wondering why this episode of Seeking Tumness sounds a little different, it's because yes, we're one man down. Laurie sends his apologies and says that even though it's sharking his responsibility, he really (laughs) did have to flake out this episode. He does hope that you finned it in your heart to forgive him, because he just adores you all. Gil be back in time for our next episode. But in the meantime, San Jose Sharks for the Stanley Cup 2016. Let's go, Sharks. Dion Warwick, if you need to know the way to San Jose, just ask Laurie. What happens if they don't win? Can I start by saying, what kind of man leaves the country on a moment's notice to go watch a hockey game? Crazy stuff. The stuff of dreams. I'm mostly saying this out of pure jealousy, actually, because I am also that kind of man. <laughs> I wish I could be that kind of man. I so wish I was there. As always, this is the podcast where we delve deep into the dark recesses of our past and dust off the tomes that created worlds in our mind as we folk. On alternate episodes, we give something new a shot if it's all shiny looking and in the vicinity of young adult fiction. My name is Keith and I'm joined by the If it's a scary teaser, pop it in the freezer and stick (laughs) to the cheeser. Bree. That is so true. Very apt. The best one yet. <laughs> and the devil on ice, who's mostly quite nice, Patrick Moon. Yeah, I, I really liked Breeze as well. Yeah. Also, go Devils. <laughs> Next year. 2017. Yep. Yeah, Devils 2017, Sharks 2016. Welcome to Sportscast. <laughs> This episode, we would have been turning back the clock, further muddying the young adult waters with another book that's aimed quite squarely at a younger audience. But alas, while the rat is away, the mice will play. So instead, we're bringing you a surprise ragtag shake-up, so that we can let Laurie stew on the delicious brew of The Indian in the Cupboard by British author Lynn Reed Banks. You'll have to wait for our next episode to hear what we all think about that one. In the meantime, Pat, why don't you get the party started with a dip into the Goodreads fountain of information? Oh, Will, can I just say also that you would not be out of place on Radio National or NPR or something like that, Keith? It's like liquid chocolate <laughs> listening to you do the, uh, the introductions and things. I'm quite enjoying it. I'd like to hear you read the 20-question the quiz at midnight on, well, down here in Melbourne, it's ABC Melbourne. That guy, Tony Delroy, you've got it all over him. Oh, Tony Delroy, he's great. I love him there. Mm. The only uh, midnight quiz master that I'm familiar with is hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Just a peg under what I'm aiming for. I actually can't laugh. I don't know the reference there. You don't know who hot dogs is? Hot dogs was one of the stars of Big Brother Australia. I don't exactly know why he was called hot dogs, but he uh, then went on to great fame hosting the Up Late game show, which was a very low budget quiz show on the, in the middle of the night on commercial television. Yes. Yeah. One of those quiz shows where you have to pay a certain amount to dial in. 
Ah. Ring in one dollar if you know who the seventh Prime Minister of Australia was. Ah. And it's mostly just watching this uh, Z-grade celebrity riff without any kind of props or anything for three hours at a time. Terrible. bit like a car crash. (laughs) Yeah, exactly like a car crash. Last week, for The Fault in Our Stars, I sort of plumbed Goodreads for some interesting questions from the readers of the book. And I thought I'd go back this week whilst we have a little bit of spare time and a a bit of a retrospective uh, episode to look at some of the questions from the books that we've read before and pose them to you guys. Some of them might be a little bit low content. And so I've I've included the question and sort of direction for discussion of my own in the same general ballpark. So we'll see how we go. We're going to hark all the way back to The Ranger's Apprentice with my first question here, which was uh, our second book, I believe, that we did. (laughs) These these ones are definitely what I would would consider low content questions, but uh, here we go anyway. Uh, Ranger's Apprentice. Question. This book was boring and I didn't actually enjoy it, although the only part I did enjoy was when Will saved Horace from the wild boar that gave me suspense and excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no no question mark there anything like that just a pure statement from uh from the reader there but just have we had a book that had that kind of quality of fantasy action i mean we've done a lot of fantasy in the interim but did we start at the highest point and completely peter out through the rest of the episodes we've done that's my take as well i didn't mind elements of brog I feel I have to mention that in Laurie's absence. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> Bare elements. I hope somebody's going to ask in the quiz, what was your least favourite book? Ooh. I won't sort of jump on your point there, but you would go to Brog. I might have to have another proper look through the list, but it certainly springs to mind. It might go to Redwall for me too. But I wasn't here for the episode, so do I get to count that? While I was looking at these questions, I looked up Brog on Goodreads. It's got a rating of like four point something, I think. An average rating of four point something out of five. Does that shock you? Is that because it was just the three of you that rated it? There's like three ratings? <laughs> no, it has a lot of ratings. Whereas Brog 2 Retribution only has about three ratings. <laughs> it's obviously significantly less popular than its predecessor. Probably one of those is from the author because I know he did comment on the Brog Goodreads page. Oh, did he really? Yeah. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I would go to the page looking to interact with readers who no doubt hate me. (laughs) Well, uh, he was putting it out there and I think there was some positive feedback and that's what maybe led to Brog 2 and that's the end of the positive feedback. Yeah, you just couldn't go on. And calling the book Brog 2 in the first place, I was just looking at that and thinking, how classless can you get it? Like It's like Sharknado 2 or something. It, It doesn't... It's just not done in books, really. No, it's not. Back to your original point. I'm not sure that we did hit the peak early on. I thought that the book of lost things in terms of Mm. fantasy held my attention much more. I mean, there were some really good suspenseful moments in that. I did love the book of lost things, but it's not that pure kind of hero's journey fantasy, is it? It's a little bit more contemporary, dark, something slightly different. Mm, I guess so. For me, it's just that I've never read heaps of fantasy. In fact, I would be struggling to think of three or four that I had even read before this podcast. And the one that springs to mind is Harry Potter. So, you know, it's not... We're providing you with a a serious education in fantasy. You certainly are. You certainly are. (laughs) You can thank us for that later. I know that you are supremely grateful. (laughs) 
Yes. Another question from Ranger's Apprentice. Key points for Chapter 11? Also a summary for Chapter 11? <laughs> which leads me to believe that people are just using Goodreads to do their homework, yes. which is highly unethical people. Stop doing that. Ranger's Apprentice was quite good. Just read it. Yeah, I know. That's right. It's right up your alley if you're a teenager in school. Just read the freaking book. Mm. The Jewels of Nabuti, I couldn't find any decent <laughs> questions or there were no questions. But again, I know it's got a 3.5 average on wow. Goodreads. What is, what is wrong with people? How old are the people that are reading it? Or is it the ultimate failure of the Goodreads scale? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them seem to be comments like, this is a choose-your-own-adventure, and what I will tell you that means is that you get to choose your own adventure and first there would be like a door and you would choose an adventure by going through one door but not the other door they're clearly very young people with seven-year-olds yeah yeah tech savvy enough to get on goodreads and leave reviews yeah well my local primary school highly suggests strongly suggests that every foundation student which is prep or kinder for you sydney siders needs an ipad in prep That's ridiculous. Nobody needs an iPad. Nobody needs an iPad. I don't even use my iPad. Mm. Parents across the country and the world would probably disagree. (laughs) For distractions, not for school keys. (laughs) Sorry, I should have prefaced that. Prefaced? That goes back to my other topic. (laughs) Words that we've mispronounced. (laughs) Prefaced. Tick. Prefaced that. Mm. Yeah. Well, on the note of parents, question from The Hunger Games how do I ask my parent to read this? I know it feels awkward, but I feel like I have to ask. Oh, gosh. Adults love young adult. Look at us. <laughs> Is that person asking how they can ask their parent to read the book to them or read it as the adult to themselves? I'm not exactly sure. And that's part of the joy of the question <laughs> I find. It's so, it's so ambiguous. In that case, Bree and Keith might correct me as the the parents in the equation here, but I think parents would be overjoyed to see their child picking up any literature of any Mm. kind and would be sort of endorsing that uh, heartily. Exactly. Obviously, any kind of literature is good, as long as it's literature and... Not fantasy. Not looking at pictures in comic books. (gasps) I mean, you... You've chosen the wrong night to make a joke like that. I know, the, he's not The here. greatest <laughs> comic stalwart is absent. <laughs> I, I'm just going to look sort of slightly puzzled and <laughs> Keith will pretend to be heartily offended. But <laughs> Well, no, I am heartily offended. I've got quite a shelf full of comics or graphic novels, I'll call them, so I sound more grown up. There's some great writing and illustrations in there. So, Brie, you're uh, talking out your ass there. <laughs> I didn't actually know that about you, Keith. I didn't know you were on the uh, the comic train as well. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not the conductor, so to speak. But um, yeah, I'm a regular passenger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite series or Dark Knight Returns is one of my favorites. Batman Year One, Preacher is good stuff. Also, Why the Last Man is one of my favorites. They're making television series for both of those latter two, are they not? They are. Have you have you seen Preacher yet? No, I haven't. It just launched last week, I think, and it's going to be interesting because it's quite an out there concept, and it'll be uh, interesting to see whether they tone it down for the TV show. Well, if Game of Thrones is anything to go by, we know that they, <laughs> they don't necessarily have to do that. No, that's true. All right. Next question, Darkest Part of the Forest, which was our one of our other sort of contemporary fantasy-esque tales. Question, and this is quite squarely directed at Brie, <laughs> is this book really freaky? 
by Freaky, I mean, is it a weird, scaryish kind of book? Like Dark? <laughs> I think the answer to that is no. I didn't find it freaky. It was Ooh. not. It was not worthy of my freezer. In other words. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think it really was either, which was why I have a, a, a kind of follow-up question to that, which is what actually is the creepiest book that you have ever read? What books belong in the freezer? The Shining, for me, is one of the creepiest books I've read. That was actually one of my answers mm. as well. And the the section based in the room with the oh. lady in the tub yeah, has got to be one of the most iconic, creepy, freaky scenes in, I suppose, cinema and literary history that's definitely one you should avoid brie oh look for me it was it's st- it's actually probably darkest part of the forest like some of the things in that i had to literally the darkest part of the forest I know, or... no sorry um, the book, of lost, <laughs> the book of lost things i actually had to put it down on occasion and just come back to it after a cup of tea or <laughs> just have a little break have a little pause that so, was pretty gruesome it but was. it's sometimes the things that play on your mind a little more than that that can be more terrifying. Yeah. I'm kind of scanning through my bookshelf and I'm not coming up with anything immediately. Well, go open your freezer. Don't look at your bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> I found books much more terrifying when I was younger. On one of the episodes, I made a comment that my parents had given me a ton of Stephen King and had kind of traumatised me at an early age and then I got a phone call from them after that, <laughs> that episode. They're like, we didn't know that. We didn't know we... <laughs> We thought you were a man, not a boy. Yeah, I have to say reading Misery and Cujo when I was younger was just absolutely terrifying. <laughs> they broke something inside of me as a child that I've never been able to replace. <laughs> I can imagine. Misery is pretty shocking. I didn't like Misery. You didn't like Misery? No. I couldn't finish it. I've never finished it, book or movie. Because it was really freaky? Yes. As in scary? Yes. <laughs> Can't cope with it. Yeah, it was pretty intense. I think Stephen King has a well-earned reputation at the the top of the creepy Mm. pile there. Uh, Twilight. Questions. Love this book, and if you don't like it, that is your problem, lol. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, you can't argue with that, lol. Why do people hate this book so much? They shouldn't even be allowed to. Why do people hate this book so much? (laughs) The crappy writing, I think. I think the true question should be, why do people love this book so much? Yeah, I think that's true. There's something about it. And the next question kind of segues into that. This one says, I've read this book again because I have a fascination with love stories, especially the sort of intense, dangerous love. I believe that the one person who is capable of destroying you is the only one worth having. What do you think? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I mean, it's just that teen angst amplified, you know, just turned up to 100. It's really... It's not healthy. Like, it's not what relationships should be, and it's not about quality in any sense of the word. There's stalkerishness and obsession, Mm. and I just don't think it's a healthy portrayal of, well, basically anyone in the book. That's basically the answer that I had in mind as well, Mm. and it's something that's troubled me a little bit about Twilight and about a lot of the other young adult fiction that's out there is this idea that an imbalanced terrifying relationship is the ideal relationship. I'm not really sure where that has come from. Did that exist before the previous decade? Mm. 20 years? I don't know what it's like in Mills and Boone and those sort of books, but I can't imagine it being similar to that. I think it's pervasive through time. 
those gender stereotypes have become ingrained in literature, not necessarily around the relationship so much, but certainly around the roles that men and women play in the family. It's always the woman who's at home doing the cleaning. It's always the boy who is, even when we were teens reading teenage literature, it's always the boy who has to, who's the sports jock that the girl is after. And there's just not enough good, strong female role models until Katniss Everdeen, in my opinion. Yeah, you're probably onto something there. I was just thinking, are movies like Greece, you know, in the same vein. Is is Danny the attractive love object because he smokes and drives a car? And has that just sort of escalated to the point now where it's not that your boyfriend smokes cigarettes, but that he's a monster who might rip your head off at any moment. And that's the <laughs> that's the attractive kind of element to it. It's this push pull sort of thing, you know, the more they push you away, the more I'm drawn to him. I just have a real issue with it. Anyway, I've got some statistics around that for She-Raw. Excellent. The Fault in Our Stars really addressed that nicely, I think. Not the movie version. It changed the dynamic. Not the movie version? It it had the same problems? Well, my problem with that is that it was... The guy was just a bit of a douche and she seemed to be falling for it all the way through. Mm. Anyway. It does do it on another level as well with the parents. The mother is kind of the stronger of the two, whereas the dad has some touching and timely humour, but he's the one that sort of breaks down at every major setback for Hazel, which is a nice balance because it's obviously something normally that would be portrayed the other way and it's accurate in the book because it's not just a stereotype. Yeah, it's good perspective. I would find it refreshing at some stage to read a story where you have two people who are in an equal relationship and facing a challenge on equal footing rather than it being about one dragging the other up or a push-pull or a fight or a conflict, but rather having two people facing a challenge equally. Mm. And it doesn't seem to happen. I can't think of really any examples of that happening. Why does that relationship have to be so mired in conflict and tension? Do you think there's a degree of that with Hazel and Gus? Yeah, it's mm. to a certain extent I think it was there and maybe that's what made it a little bit more attractive for me at least. Because with them the antagonist was outside of themselves in a way. Yeah, it was a shared adversity. Mm. It was cancer. Yeah. It's something to ponder on, but it, it, that's kind of a recurring theme that's given me pause throughout a few of the books that we've read and, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've seen and heard out there in the wider world, mm. which makes me wonder if I'm just turning into a grumpy old man. But... <laughs> no, I think it's just being perceptive. There's this sort of thing translates to all sorts of elements of society. So it's in our literature, it's in our movies. They've even got a test where I've got the word written down here somewhere, the Bechdel test. Yep. Have mm. you guys heard of this? Where yeah. yeah, a movie has to feature at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. And there's not that many that pass the test. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Or barely pass the test. I mean, what sort of, what sort of role models are we setting up here? And it translates to things like women in Australia earn, on average, 18% less than an equivalent man in their job. So women in Australia in paid work go out tomorrow and ask your boss for 18% more. It's basically what it translates to for me. Yeah, there is certainly a, a lack there. And I don't understand why exactly, because I really like reading books about strong female characters. I Who writes them? Yeah. Like, is it written by male authors? The ones that I like mm. or 
I don't know. I don't have any specifically in mind, yeah. other than perhaps the Hunger Games because I love Katniss, mm. and that's one written by a woman. Mm. It just seems to be th- there seems to be a lot of these books written and they're neglecting an audience that's actually there and they would be happy to receive some new interesting material that features women because I'm hungry for it. I'm always finding it really interesting and exciting when it happens because it's different and that shouldn't exactly, really be yeah. the case. Well, it should be the case that you see a different perspective from a woman in some ways, but because it's so rare, it's different for that reason also. Hmm. A series of unfortunate events, The Bad Beginning, which starts off putting on front street, really, this this idea that this isn't going to be a happy book. This is going to be a a gruelling, harrowing experience. And the question on Goodreads is, The Bad Begging is something it call amazing, but why ruin hopes real quick? <laughs> Indeed. What did you guys think of the setup for a series of unfortunate events that just laying it out there? This is a dark tale of harrowing stuff that goes on to small children. I like that element of it. It's a little bit of foreshadowing, but it doesn't. It's done intentionally and it sort of drives you to want to find out what's going to happen next. I thought it was fascinating, but having said that, I wouldn't necessarily read it to my child too early I think there are other books that can go first until I guess I'm more comfortable or I feel that she's more comfortable to have that view to face that adversity yeah to face that adversity I guess and have a bit more resilience what about books like Roald Dahl because he's sort of famous for putting children in the crap isn't he yeah and same goes for that I don't know that it's something that I'd leave her let's say she you know a couple of years down the track she knows how to read I don't know that it's a book that I would necessarily think that she should be reading on her own, for example. Perhaps it's something that you would read a chapter or two of a night together and that way you can sort of explain the story and just be there for a bit of comfort if need be. Yeah, there's quite a balance of Roald Dahl books, so there's some for younger ages as well and so you can ramp it up as you go, I guess, Mm. if you're worried about it. Do you feel similarly, Keith, or will you be tucking your kids into bed with Cujo? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'll be as protective as Brie of what, my kids read certainly Roald Dahl it's open to them as soon as they want to I have been thinking about reading with my daughter Matilda so they've got the stage show on in Melbourne at the moment and I think she's probably just about the right age just about for we'll see how it goes there's a couple of sort of things that happen in it that might be a bit freaky and loud and whatever but I think she'd be okay I haven't actually read Matilda since I was that age or have had it read to me since I was that age. Mm. So I would like to go back and check that out, Mm. actually. It's a great show. It's good fun. Yeah, I've been reading. It was a while ago now. I started reading and Lisa as well with our three-year-old. So probably a bit ahead of the game in terms of what he'd normally be interested in. But he did show an interest in it and liked some of the characters. And it was a nice way to put him to sleep at night question from the maze runner which i won't read because it's boring but just suggestions for books in that post-apocalyptic genre do you guys have anything else that you've read that has sort of caught your attention because it's a it's a genre that i am absolutely mad about young adult fiction or anything well none of my suggestions are young adult because i don't think there is that much necessarily in the young adult i will tell you this there is one that i actually have read and enjoyed and it's called the passage and it's actually a trilogy by Justin Cronin and the most recent one was released like a week ago and I've been desperately trying to read The Indian in the Cupboard and put this one to the side. It could have been devouring. 
part three. <laughs> but that one I have really, really taken to. But now you still have it to look forward to. We've done you a favour. Oh, God. I'm going to have to finish this at midnight tonight and go and read a couple of chapters. Like, it's been taunting me. Recommend it. So, what was that one called again? Uh, the Passage by Justin Cronin. There's a recommendation from Bree. What about you, Keith? Yeah, if we're going to go post-apocalyptic, and this is something that my reading progress has been halted because of the extra reading load with Seeking Tumness. It's the Dark Tower series. Oh, I forgot to put that on my list, but I'm <laughs> totally on board. How could you forget that? You guys have been talking about that for months. We have talked about it a lot. <laughs> I'm fairly sure it was at least twice a week for quite some time there. It's one that requires full attention, so that's why I've left it to the side, not wanting to sort of pick it up in dribs and drabs because there's so much that is abstract in some of the books. Some are more more descriptive than others, but it's something that needs your full attention, so I've left it to the side for now. That's interesting because that's the same way that I've been treating it too, and I actually haven't finished the series despite it being one of my favourite kind of ongoing series. It's been finished. It's all there waiting to go. But it is something that I really need to dive into and I need to devote 100% of my attention to. And I haven't really been able to do that either. And for that reason, it's sat off to the side there. It makes me wonder now, when you have a meal and you have the part of the meal you enjoy most, do you eat it first or do you save it to last? I go last. Yeah. I get in trouble for eating all the fries with my meal before I get to the actual body of the... <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe that's the problem. I'm a definite last as well. We're into delayed gratification, unlike Brie, who will <laughs> want to dive straight into that book that she's got there. Can't wait. I think Stephen King... We do talk about Stephen King a lot, but The Stand as well was one of my favourites in that post-apocalyptic type genre. Have you read that one, Keith? I haven't. It's a big undertaking. I did pick up the audio version of that. It was about 45 hours long. It's Yeah, 47 hours, I think it is. Oh, I, thought I, was, I thought I was making no, a gross exaggeration. Not at all. So it was a value proposition. That was the reason for choosing that one. But yeah, something I've um, heard a bit about, so I do want to read it or hear it. That's a working week right there, just devoted entirely to listening to a Stephen King book. <laughs> I recommend that one. Laurie would tell you to avoid it, but I think it's phenomenal. Also, The Dog Stars by Peter Heller, Phenomenal, and The Road by Cormac McCarthy. I think that's probably enough Goodreads questions. It was nice to have a bit of a... Chin wag. ...review of, of yeah, of the, the stuff we've done, because we kind of do it informally when we're not actually recording. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a retrospective on some of the books that we've looked at before. No, it was good. Yeah, it was nice. So we should move on now and, and turn up the seriousness with Bree and... A look back at some of the roles females have played in some of the books we've read. Well, actually... I've, Is that right? Well, no, actually, I've kind of turned it around and just done a bit of a... I've just sort of looked into this topic of gender bias in literature in general, but also gender bias in young adult fiction. So we've discussed a couple of things in the last sort of 25, half an hour. But do you guys know... Have you ever heard of Marianne Evans? Better known as... Uh, I have not. You haven't. So better known as George Eliot, who wrote Middlemarch. Amantine Lucille Aurore Dupin, who was better known as George Sand, so in the 19th century. The Bronte sisters, J.K. Rowling and Louisa May Alcott also wrote under male pseudonyms. Now, you'd think that, you know, most of these women were writing in a very different time to us, but J.K. Rowling under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith, what's all that about? Hmm. 
Was that for her crime fiction? Yes, The Cuckoo's Book. Calling, The Cuckoo's Nest, whatever it was called. Stupidly didn't write that down next to her name. Yeah, I wonder why she took that. I've also read before that she chose JK as a, a pseudonym to sort of distance mm. herself, to make her, her gender ambiguous, at least, mm. uh, when she was initially shopping the Harry Potter manuscripts. And there's some anecdotal evidence from a number of writers. One woman who submitted the same manuscript to 50 publishers under her own name and then received two responses with, oh, gosh, the protagonist isn't really very fiery. She could do with a bit of oomph, couldn't she? (laughs) And then submitted the same manuscript to a different set of 50 publishers and received back comments such as clever and received 18 responses back for the same number of manuscripts sent out. So it was just an interesting social experiment. I think book reading is one of those areas that continues to be a man's game, despite it probably being more of a woman's field, you know, in terms of the consumption of literature. Well, exactly. And I actually have a statistic for you on that one. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) See, this is good. I'll make unfounded assertions (laughs) and you can tell me whether they're accurate or not. Let me just search through the hundreds of numbers that I wrote down because I was absolutely (laughs) appalled by some of these things. Welcome to Statistics with Bree. <laughs> so there was a 2012 American study by the National Endowment of the Arts that women are far more likely to read than men and they are also far more likely to read what is considered to be a literary book. So you're looking at 65% who are more likely to read and 56% will have read a literary book in the last year, whereas that statistic drops to 37% for men. Jesus, men, pick up your game. <laughs> so what are you reading, guys? Is it just sports magazines or, you know, the San Jose Sharks uh, fixture for the year? Zoo Weekly. Mm. So I guess you guys can take some comfort that you're exceptions to the rule. Well, I don't know that I've read anything that you could uh, classify as literary this year yet, but maybe I need to get onto that. Oh, do you reckon? Yeah, I, I reckon. I reckon it's a it's a blank slate as far as... What about Anne of Green Gables? Uh, oh, come on. Literary. <laughs> Old. <laughs> I'll give you that. Wonderful, yes. So a different study found that uh, of 13 publishing houses found that only one came close to equality in publishing books authored by men and women. So one came close to it with 45% of the books authored by women. The next best was Random House with 37% by women and the rest were 30% or below. See, this is perfect. This backs up my completely <laughs> my completely <laughs> unfounded assumptions with some hard numbers and they're vaguely concerning, I suppose. Mm. Like what happens in between like the consumption and mm. the writing of books? Because surely there are people out there that are producing manuscripts. Well I think that example of the author who submitted under both her name and a male name it points the finger of blame at the publishers. So some of the other statistics I pulled out show that the number of book reviewers that are men versus women is skewed. And the number of books that those reviewers choose to review and publish about in huge in huge publications, the New York Review of Books, the Times Literary Supplement, UK's London Review of Books, it's just all skewed significantly towards male authors. I'm not particularly surprised at those facts. Mm. And and that that's probably why in, in some sense the 
the kind of content that we're talking about mm. wanting in the books doesn't necessarily exist because the, the people who, who would represent themselves in the fiction that we want to read aren't sort of able to publish anything. Mm. Shall we talk about what we're seeing here at Seeking Tumness to date? Yeah. Do you want to hear not? those? You want to hear yeah. those? I'll give you a rundown. We have thus far reviewed 20 books, so I'm talking about the 20 excluding excluding the Indian in the cupboard. Oh, I was just wondering this as you were talking. Yeah, this is good. Authors, 60% male, 40% female. Okay. Keith, three out of your four choices thus far have been by male authors, so thank goodness for Judy Bloom there. <laughs> well, the next one is my choice and is a female author. Yes, well, I did make a note about... Conveniently left out. You've got conveniently Lynn Reed Banks next week, so you've got three out of five. So, well done. You're sitting pretty on the average, which is, what, 60% there. Patrick, three out of four for you as well, with the only female author being Suzanne Collins. And let's be honest, that's the strongest female protagonist that we've had thus far as well, I would argue. Oh, maybe Ellie out yeah. of Tomorrow When the War Began as well. Yeah, they're a similar kind of mould, but I have a very soft spot for Katniss Everdeen. She's one of my favourite sort of mm. characters. Of course, to keep the numbers even, I have 100% or five out of five <laughs> selections with female authors. So showing my strong gender bias right there. <laughs> Represent. Was that intentional or? No, it's not. I would argue that I'm trying to balance the podcast in some way. So I remember when Laurie first approached me about this, he said, oh, we're looking for a female voice and I can hear your voice from across the room of the office. So <laughs> so it was intentional or was it? No, it's not intentional. Okay. It's, these are books that I read, I enjoyed reading and I will probably continue to enjoy reading. I think the next one for me, oh, it might be two or three choices down the line, is, is a male author and that's Roald Dahl, but the rest are all... Women. Can we remove Brog the Stoop from my list of choices? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my choice. Sure, you can have John Marsden back. <laughs> and our fearless and absent leader who's not able to defend himself. Interestingly, he's picked seven of the 20 books thus far, so I'm not sure how that's come about. <laughs> We've done 20, I've done five, you guys have done four, and Laurie's done seven, so... <laughs> Keith, we might need to pick up a couple there for you Happily But six out of Laurie's seven picks Or 86% have been male authors Ooh. So, tut Kick him while he's down Tut, tut. While he's not down While he's out mm. What have you got to say about that, Laurie? Nothing I thought as much <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought What's happening to the women in these books Or what's happening to the girls in these books So there's a fair bit of fairy tales And damsel in distress Sorts of things, although most of the ones that we've read in the contemporary sort of side have a bit of a twist on that. So you've got the twist on the Little Red Riding Hood tale in The Book of Lost Things. You've got that twist in The Darkest Part of the Forest by Holly Black where, oh gosh, I can't remember the girl's name, but she goes out and she's a sword-wielding... It's Hazel. Hazel, another Hazel, gosh. Mm. And we also have Hazel Grace in The Fault in Our Stars and Katniss Everdeen, but, you know, juxtaposed against Bella in Twilight. You can't forget... The eldest of the Baudelaire three. Oh, well. yes. Violet. Yes, in a selection by me. Oh, of course. Yep. Hats <laughs> off. <laughs> also written by a man, though. <laughs> what is interesting when you sort of look at that list is that some of those more interesting female characters have been in the contemporary books that we've read. 
more so than the classics. So, you know, maybe they're maybe society's moving forward. Yeah, with those publishing numbers, is that trending upwards? I would hope so. Well, interestingly, it's trending upwards in young adult literature. The most recent study that I could find some statistics on was 2010. So, and in 2015, there was somebody pushing for, let's make 2018 the year of the female author. So there's a bit of a push to reverse some of the trends. I'd imagine that J.K. Rowling on her own has contributed significantly in terms of sale volume for female authors in the young adult space. And Suzanne Collins. Yeah. Between the two of them, they would just be dominating the, the world. True. Are they not the two? Who wrote Divergent and whatever that series? Is that a female author as well? I don't think it is. Google tells me that it is Veronica Roth. Oh, there you go. That's a man under a pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> so, let your boys go out in their Elsa costumes, like I do. <laughs> I love Frozen so much. I love Frozen so much. I love that my little boy loves it. I have seen it and I liked it. And now, after the seriousness, the game. <laughs> yes, the game. So, I'm bringing back a favourite segment. Well, I'm calling it favourite. Probably no one else is. It's because you were involved in its production. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's more patchy than a patchwork quilt. And more educational than a pile of rocks. That's right, it's... Tenuous Trivia. Beautiful. This iteration, I've devised a complicated scoring system. You'll get one point for a correct answer, and you'll lose a point for an incorrect answer. All questions will be multiple choice, except when they aren't. In which case, you'll need to buzz in with your name as soon as you think you know the answer. (laughs) And just so it's clear, for the multiple choice, you have to buzz in as well. Okay. I have a memory like a sieve. This is going to be absolutely (laughs) dominated by Brie. Before we begin that, can we get a buzzer check? Brie! (laughs) That was good. That was so much more vibrant than I'm going to be able to manage. Patrick? Well done. Okay, so part one, I'm calling this part Picture This. Question one. Spot the Dog was a popular character in a whole pack of books written and illustrated by Eric Hill. Which of the following titles is not a spot book? A. Spot goes to a party. B. Spot loves sport. C. Spot rides a bike. Or D. Spot stained the carpet. Brie, oh, D. <laughs> Brie, D, correct. That's one point for Brie. Nice. Question two. In the Tintin series, Captain Haddock was originally the captain of a ship with a name invented by Herge. That name is A. Navir Al-Kul B. Karabujan C. Kardashi Suck <laughs> D. Boaty McBoatface <laughs> Pat, Pat, uh, I'm going to go with... I've got it down to 50-50. I'm going to go B. B, it is. Karabujan, which is an invented Armenian word. So Bodie McBoatface has been renamed, hasn't it? It has. It's the Sir David Attenborough. Mm, So the company that I work for has just released an underwater camera to look at some of the dams and some of the remote assets that we've got. And they've called it, the insert company name here, Bodie McBoatface, in honour of its (laughs) predecessor. Lovely. I think one of the, the life boats on 
the Sir David Attenborough is called Bodie McBoatface, so it got on there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I don't think it was ever really going to make it <laughs> onto the side of it. Dangerous question to ask. Question three. This is a buzzing one, so buzzing as soon as you have an answer. And I'm sticking with Tintin. Haven't they all been buzzing ones? <laughs> yeah, they have, but I'm calling the ones where you have to buzz in that aren't multiple choice buzzing. Okay. So, sticking with Tintin, the bumbling detective duo in the series are called Thompson and Thompson. What is their relation? Oh, uh, Patrick. Patrick. I think they're. I think that they're like twins, brothers. You've fallen into my trap. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> because despite them looking almost identical, they're not related. They do look exactly the same. <laughs> they're actually Thompson and Thompson, so one With without a P. A P. Mm. And they do have a very slight difference. The Thompson... With no P is the one with a bowler hat and a moustache, whereas Thompson with a P is the one with the moustache and a bowler hat. Are we talking about comics? <laughs> Actually, Thompson no P has a slightly pointier moustache. And yes, Brie, we are talking a book with pictures. Mm-hmm. There was a great uh, cartoon series as well, though, when I was growing up. Mm. Well, that was a good decade after me, so. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> Question four, buzz in with this one as well. Finish this Dr. Seuss or Dr. Zeus, if you want to go with his pronunciation line. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Patrick. Pat. Sam I am. Sam I am. (laughs) Lovely. Damn it, I've got the Lorax here. (laughs) Needed to claw back. In the French comic book series Asterix, the the titular character... (laughs) Why can't I say that word? Is it titular? It, it is. The, it is titular. I think it's. Yeah. I think I have issues with saying. That. I was going to say you have issues with you have titty issues. <laughs> we apparently do. Tissues. You've given us the statistics to back that up, Bree. So thank you. <laughs> the titular character has a best friend. What's his name? Patrick. Bree. Patrick. Yes. Uh, obelisk. Is it? What was that? How was that pronounced? Is it obelisk? Ooh, or am I saying the actual word? Is it obelix? Or is it like o- obelix? Obelix? It's, it's obelix, oh, yes. God damn so... it. <laughs> I said the actual word. <laughs> I think that's a steal. <laughs> it is a steal. All I have well an stolen. image of right now is Gérard Depardieu in the role. <laughs> <laughs> With a very bulbous oh, nose. Well, that's just natural. <laughs> We're up to question six. This also this is also from Asterix. What is the name of the druid from Asterix's Gaulish village? Oh, I'm going to leave that to you, Bree. <laughs> I actually I have no idea. I mean, this is, this is multiple yeah. choice. So. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> is it A. Quicker fix, B. Need a fix, C. Get a fix, or D. Sicker fix? As I said, Bree, it's all yours. I honestly have absolutely no idea. <laughs> all right, no penalties. You can buzz in. There's no losing points. Bree C. Bree C is correct. Oh. <laughs> Get a fix. I have actually seen the movie, but obviously not read the comics, but I have actually seen the movie, but in French. Does it seriously Ooh. have Gerard Depardieu? It seriously it? has Gerard Depardieu, yes. <laughs> it sounds awful. I think it features on SBS every now and then. Does so it? keep an eye out for it. That's where I've seen it. Mm. I'm going to move on to the next part, and I will confusingly call this part first chapter. 
Question 7. Which of these is not an Enid Blyton series? A. The Secret Seven B. Five Fine Outers C. The Famous Five D. The Special Six or E. The Adventurous Four Bree D. I don't know. You do know, apparently, because D it is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is a bloodbath. <laughs> you did predict it, but we've got a ways to go yet, so do not give up. Do not despair. It sounded like a line from The Lost Jewels of Nabuti. <laughs> <laughs> the quality of my speech is on par with the writing in that book. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> I just associate it so closely with your voice now after doing that, that playthrough. I don't know that I like that. <laughs> Question eight. The first short story collection written by Australian author Paul Jennings was... You can buzz in now for two points. Brie. Brie. Unreal. Unreal. Two points. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. Question nine. Snozzy fruits are mentioned in two Roald Dahl books. What are they? Like, what are Snozzy Fruits or what are the two books? <laughs> what are the two books? Because I'm equally stumped Ooh. about both of those. Brie, the Brie FG, and, oh, I don't know. I'll take a stab in the dark. The Twits? Okay, so you're correct on one, which is the Brie FG. Mm-hmm. You're not correct with the Twits. So, Patrick, would you like to come in for a steal? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go with um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, really? Come on. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Oh, good point. <laughs> They're the most notable ones. It's a testament to your love of the BFG brie. Mm. Remembered every line and every candy <laughs> consumed. Well, they're like snoz cucumbers, aren't they? Yeah, they're snoz cucumbers. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Question 10. What is the name of Will's horse from Ranger's Apprentice? Oh, Jesus. I'm giving you multiple choices. Three, whip it, Horace. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should take a point off for that, but no, I, I won't. feel like you should add one on. <laughs> hmm. A, Abelard. B, Erak. C, Kalkara. Or D, Tug. Bree, Tug. <laughs> Bree? I'm going to nullify that and give you nothing for that so it's correct but you must obey my format <laughs> that's just a mercy a mercy rule to stop this absolute slaughter that's going on question 11 and it's another buzz in name the Baudelaire orphans from Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events bonus points if they're in order from youngest to oldest Bree Bree Oh, I, Sunny, I like that silence. Klaus Violet. Oh, God damn it! There you go. All correct and bonus point coming. I'm running out of space for these points, Bree. <laughs> Patrick, uh, lift that game a bit. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do my bit. I told you, memory like a sieve. I can't even remember the plot of my favourite books. <laughs> Question 12. In Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, what are the aliens called? I'll give the multiple choice. A. Vermicious canids. B. Trog snagglers. C. Twang gibblers. Or D. Zarifus zorps. I'm not even <laughs> sure if I've read this. I definitely haven't read it. 
Okay, I'm opening it up. No loss on points. Take a guess. Ask Patrick Laurie. D. <laughs> Patrick B, not correct. D, no, D. Oh, D, sorry, not correct. Bree C. <laughs> Bree C, not correct. <laughs> a. Which leaves Patrick, I'm giving you that mercy point. <laughs> it's Vermicious Canids. That's K-N-I-D-S, but it's definitely pronounced Canids. That rang a bell for me, and I thought it was from something else. They're mentioned in the movie as well, uh, but they're talked about as being the the natural enemy of the small orange guys, Loompa Loompas, hmm. <laughs> which isn't the case in the book. So that's end of part two now. I'll do a quick score check. Bree is sitting pretty on nine points, <laughs> and Patrick... <laughs> two? He's on three with, oh, three. with the vermicious knids, getting you that third and all-important point. So we'll move on to the final part. And this, with eight points? <laughs> there's a few questions here. I can ramp up the final one. This one I will call, I'm not a little third anymore. Question 13. What was the name of Rue's District 11 partner in the Hunger Games? Patrick. Patrick. Uh Bree. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not done yet. I'm totally going to get this. I know it was either Peter or Gail, and I'm trying to remember which one was Bree. the one. No, no, no. I'm going to get this shit. I'm going to get it. It was uh, Gail. Hang on. Did you hear the question? Bree. 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 Thresh. Thresh it is. What a memory. Her her partner in the Hunger Games. Yes, Ruse District Eleven partner. Oh, Ruse! <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> what is wrong with me? Cough medicine. Too much cough medicine. You get two points for that, Bree, because uh, I had the hilarious multiple choice options of thrash, thresh, thrush, <laughs> and thrush. <laughs> I like that. Question fourteen. Name the swords in Holly Black's The Darkest Part of the Forest. Oh, that really annoyed me at the time. I'll definitely multiple choice this one. Bree, heart sworn, heart string. Oh, gosh. Well, heart string. Heart something. Heart string, I string not. Heart seeker? Yes. Well done. I'll give you both a point there. Woot. I had also pre made some. Options there because I couldn't recall the name of them. I knew there was something silly, but I had to look that one up. Good job, guys. What were your options? My options Oathbreaker and Deathbringer, the Sword of Power and the Sword of Protection, and the final one was Mary Kate and Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Question 15. Now, you may be disadvantaged here, Pat. Well, that's just what I need. <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of the magazine that Josephine Ali Brandy is reading in the opening pages of Looking for Ali Brandy? Oh, man. I can I, not I've remember. got multiple choice here. Was it A, Hot oh, Pants? Oh, Brie, Hot Pants. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Brie, you have a fantastic memory. And the final question here, and let me just calculate. 10 points, not 11 points. <laughs> It's worth 10 points. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you don't get this, Brie, you get the moral victory anyway. <laughs> what is the name of the fictitious town that foreign powers invade in Tomorrow When the War Began? Brie. Brie. 
Beg your pardon? Where are we? Where are we is correct. Oh, I wouldn't have gotten that one. I do like to win. <laughs> In win you have. 23 points to Brie and four points to Pat. Beautiful. What a fantastic quiz, Keith. Can you do that every week, please? <laughs> Maybe a more worthy opponent. <laughs> yes. I don't think it would be fair if I was to do it again. You just wipe the floor with this, Brie. Oh, I don't know. Laurie can be competitive. We need to do the uh, the fantasy edition. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's true. I did feel as I was writing it that I didn't have much in the way of fantasy there. Mm. So sorry, Pat, you were disadvantaged further. But I think Bree would have found a way to win. It was all because I was very disadvantaged and nothing to do with my complete ineptitude. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of your disadvantage. <laughs> so, like... Did you um like read chapter 11 or do you need me to give you the cliff notes for the first 20 books that we've read? <laughs> lol. Lol. Total lol. I thought it would be interesting to go back now and rate our top three books from everything we've read. Mm. Does anyone want to go first on that? Yeah, I've been thinking about this and it's kind of a tough question, but uh, probably... The Hunger Games has got to be up there for me. I've already waxed lyrical about how much I like Katniss. And I, I, don't, know, I don't think I rated it five stars out of five. I can't quite remember what I gave it, but it was stunning. And so it's top of the list for me, probably. It was early on for you. I think all of us might have been trying to save our fives. Save our the truly, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got to save our very limited supply of stars. I really, really, really liked The Fault in Our Stars. It's got to be there for me too. And if I, I would either say The Book of Lost Things because that's one of my personal favourites and I picked it. But if I'm not going to do that, I would say The Ranger's Apprentice. What about you guys? Well, absolutely Brog the Stoop and Redwall. <laughs> Did you mishear the question, Brie? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, for me, it's actually... I don't know that it's the top, but I really enjoyed The Book of Lost Things because it's, for me, was something that I would never usually read and I just devoured it. Bit of a challenge for you? With a few pauses in between for, like I said earlier, cups of tea. Wow, that's an interesting answer. I also loved The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, gosh, I just don't know. Is it The Witches or is it Looking for Alabrandi? For me, it's one of those two. And I'm not going to pick something... Yeah, that's a fair enough answer. It's a hard choice to make because they're yeah. quite. it's quite a varied bunch of books, particularly when we have things like The Witches in there. It's hard to think of that in the same light as you think of something like The Fault in Our Stars or The Book of Lost Things. Mm. So the three I've chosen are definitely in the young adult category, definitely The Fault in Our Stars, like Pat, The Hunger Games. It's something that I always come back to because it just did such a great job. And I think like Pat, I didn't rate it a five, but yeah, at that point, I guess we were saving our fives. And finally... This maybe flies in the face of everything I've just said, but Anne of Green Gables. Oh, Keith. Gotta love that. Did, really? Amazing, yeah. man. I don't remember this level of endorsement from you about Anne of you Green Gables actually, when we actually it, read the book. You all scored it pretty highly. It won me over. I think it's probably a bit like Brie including um, the Book of Lost Things here in that it's something I would never have read. And for that reason alone, it sort of stands out in the memory. Hmm. But yeah, there would be special mentions for a bunch of books in there as well, which The Book of Lost Things amongst them, The Witches, of course, and also uh, Looking for Ellie Brandy. Mm. We've done all right. There aren't really that many books that I would take back if I if I could, but <laughs> I shan't name any of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a couple I would possibly take back and maybe repoint, but one of those was the Tales of a Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, which is something I hadn't read in such a long time, and I knew it was aimed at a different audience. So, are you still stinging over Laurie's complete evisceration of that one? I am. I just uh, I can't rationalise his hatred of it because he said <laughs> he said some good things about it, and then yeah, please well, don't open that wound. It was all about eating the turtle. He just couldn't couldn't handle it. He couldn't. Strangely enough, uh, and yet in Redwall, animals left, right, and centre dying. He's a filthy hypocrite. He is. <laughs> say what you like. Still got nothing to say to defend himself. Typically. <laughs> Could he was just sitting quietly over there, hanging his head in shame. We, we should probably then cover off the books we liked least, and we've probably already sort of touched on that. But Bree, what's the worst of the bunch? The worst of the bunch is Brog the Stoop. Ed. I think that's probably unanimous. Yeah. No, no. I didn't find it that bad. The other one I didn't enjoy was Redwall. But I wasn't here for that, so you never really got my true <laughs> anger and sarcasm. Actually, you know what? The one that I hated most of all is Twilight. Yeah, I was mm. going to predict that. Mm. thought that would be low on the list as mm. well. I think Brog the Stoop and Twilight, I'm on board there. I, I didn't really like either of those very much. I don't really know what my third would be. I think everything else largely has been generally in my wheelhouse. To greater or lesser extents. There's something to say for most of them. It might be Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, with, uh, with apologies to Keith. <laughs> what about Jewels of Nabooty? <laughs> I loved Jewels of Nabooty. That was some of the most fun that I've had. That was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, it was phenomenal. I'm going to do that again. Mm. We should, and I think we'll have a bit more luck with the book next time. For me, yeah, it's probably a tie between Redwall and Twilight, and part of the dislike for them was the length. They just dragged on and on and on. Mm. Redwall didn't know when to end. <laughs> it should have been about 20% of the way through the book, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to agree with that. King Bull Sparrow. Oh, no, oh, that's not. Those voices, those, oh, oh. those dialects. Yeah, well, spoiler alert for the Indian in the cupboard, those voices. God. Nowhere near as bad as that. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, next episode, you'll finally be able to hear all about the Indian in the cupboard, one of my selections. So stand by for my staunch defence in the face of all logic and reason. And no, that's not a spoiler. (laughs) Until then, if you find yourself in a foreign land in a hotel full of muck, keep your crease tight, crash the net, and find a home for that puck. And keep reading. Also, give us your stars on iTunes, you stingy bastards. San Jose Sharks. Woot. What happens if they don't win?